Well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Find your seat and then stand right back up, turning to the book of Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter three. So turn there, chapter three, verse one. The Bible really says what I'm about to say. These are not words you usually hear in church, but it starts off like this. You Foolish Galatians. Oh man, that stings. And this is, I think, this is just my opinion as your pastor, but this passage to this audience is one of the most pointed passage is, if not the most pointed passage in all of the Bible. So it says this, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And he asked them a question, a rhetorical, like it's a hard question. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? What's the answer? By believing. Yeah, you didn't receive by the the law. You received it by believing what you heard. Verse three, again, he's hitting them again. Are you so Foolish, yikes. After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain, the whole thing again. So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ is in our midst. Let's pray. God, as we stand here looking at this scripture, looking at this word, this message that you had through Paul to the Galatians, Lord, I pray our heart would be open to your spirit, what you're doing at New Life Manitou, Lord, that that we look on these words and ask you, Jesus, ask you, Father, ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill us up as your church. We pray these words in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people shouted, Amen, amen. You may be seated. Let me tell you what we're going to do today. A little bit of change to things. Like We added some more chairs, which I think is just in time because I think it looks like a couple more of you showed up today. Uh, so that's kind of cool. And I'm preaching from up here. So the camera's got the better angle kind of thing. Uh, I'm going to preach a shorter sermon today. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? Uh, and I'm going to do that so that, you know, the end, uh, I usually at the very end of the sermon, I give a couple announcements and then I bless you in peace. Uh, so today the sermon will be shorter so that at the end of the sermon, I'll give a couple announcements and I will say what I was going to say at the barbecue. So we had planned to do the barbecue. Then I was going to interrupt everything and try to speak over everyone. And I was going to talk about why we exist, our vision, some new things we're going to do for the fall. But I thought, man, instead of interrupting that uh, time of fellowship, I'll I'll just make the sermon a little shorter and then I will do that at the end of service. So that's today's lesson. Let's get right into it. Let's talk about the backstory for this passage. So point number one, already on the board here, the backstory and context to a passage, to any passage, are important to understand the message, the backstory and the context. And we have to ask ourselves, what in the world is going on in this passage to the Galatians because Paul is very pointed as he speaks, if you know what I mean. And if you don't know what I mean, I'll tell you plainly, he's mad, he's upset, he's 
ticked at something going on in the Galatians church and he is letting them have it. He has a rebuke for this early church. So what in the world is the backstory? Well, they've done something. They have let a different teaching come in to the church in Galatia and Paul calls it a false gospel, which is really no gospel at all. He says that about it in Galatians chapter one. And these people have infiltrated, this is also what he says, infiltrated their ranks to spy on the freedom they have and to make the Galatians slaves. So that's the backstory. Let's get a little more into this for just a second. Let's talk about big words like exegesis, hermeneutics, let's get into the historical context. This is nerdy stuff. This is a nerd alert. If you know what to do, nerd alert. Okay. If you don't know what that was, you just have to keep coming back. It's what we do when we get a little nerdy. So if we get into the historical context of what's going on here, we have to see that that Paul usually isn't like this. We have of the letters and books of the New Testament. Anybody know offhand how many New Testament books are there? 27. Out of those 27 books, Paul writes 13 of them, not including Hebrews. He may or may not have written Hebrews. So that's just about half, a little, just about half of the New Testament. We have a lot of Paul's writing and at no point is he this upset, is he this pointed in his rebuke to the audience of the people receiving the book. This is very passion. He's very angered by what's going on. He calls them foolish. I told you before, right, that one translation, a kind of a paraphrase, it's the J.B. Phillips translation, says, oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, is how it's translated. This is Paul is really on fire here and he says, you're so foolish. How foolish are you Galatians? And then he asked this question, who has bewitched you? And we actually know the backstory of what's going on here. We know who has bewitched the Galatians church. If you've been with us, if you know a little bit about the history and the context of Galatians 1, Galatians 2, we find out that there's these people called They're called the Judaizers in the New Testament. Paul calls them the group, uh, the circumcision group. And they're people from Jerusalem that have made their way to Galatia to teach that the Galatians need to follow the Jewish customs, the Torah laws, the Sabbath rules, the uh, rules about eating and not making sure you're eating kosher. And that if you're a Christian and there's another Christian who is not eating these things, like anybody this week eat bacon, then then this group, this heretical group is saying, don't even eat with these people. And Paul is saying, what? What what does bacon have to do with the gospel? Are you insane? He will go on in chapter three to say, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are all one in Christ. Stop listening to this garbage that's being preached to you. Who in the world, he asks, hypothetically, who in the world has bewitched you? Well, it's this group teaching that you need to add to the gospel. So that's just a little piece of the backstory to this passage that is so pointed at the Galatians and rebuking them. So if we continue from there, so if that's the background, he asks the question, who has bewitched you? And then he says this statement, which is point number two. Point number two of this sermon is Christ has been clearly portrayed as crucified among you. So he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. 
And I remember when I first read this passage, I thought, oh, he's talking about people who might've been at the crucifixion. I mean, Paul is writing this letter maybe 15 years or so, maybe even less than when Jesus was crucified himself. So my first reading through this letter, just not really thinking it through, I was like, oh, he's talking to people who clearly, who literally saw Jesus crucified. And then I thought, no, that, that's, he's not talking to uh, the, the people in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. He's speaking to the Galatians. And if you look at a map, we might have a map to put up here. If you remember from the map, uh, Jesus crucified there in Jerusalem, way down at the bottom right. It's 600 miles to go up and then over to that green area called Galatia, at the least. And if you try to cut the corner and go through, it's only 400 miles to sail. But in these times, that's like another world. So Paul is writing to the Galatians, not saying Jesus was crucified among you and you saw it. No, he's referring to something else. And what he's referring to, we have to go back just a little bit. I know we're in chapter three, but we have to go back to chapter two. Did you know that Paul did not write this letter with the, with the chapter markings and with the verse markings? Did you know that? Like it might be news to some. Some of you are like, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, it was originally written without any of those markings. The chapters were added in the 1300s, in case you were wondering. The verses were added in the 1500s. And I'm very grateful for the verses so we could all kind of be on the same verse and we know what's going on. It's easy to turn to scripture like that but they were never there. So Paul is writing this whole letter. And if we go back just a few sentences, we see that in chapter two, verse 20, Paul says this. It's a verse we looked at last week. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Some of you know this verse. It's a beautiful, very popular verse. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how has Christ been portrayed as crucified among the Galatians? Well, by Paul, by Paul's life. He's the founder of the church. He uh, led them, he shepherded them, he pastored them. He was like living a life that was crucified with Christ and it was no longer him living, but Christ in him. And this is, isn't just Paul living this way. This is something we are all to do. We are all to live like this. We are all to live as if uh, Christ has been crucified and now lives in us so that it's not us who are living, but Christ in us. This is a picture of what the church should look like. Did you know, I think the, the church um, and the world, how the church lives and how the world lives are two different things. I think, of course, amongst in the church, some of us stumble, we fall, we mess up, we know this, but I think there, there really is a big difference between how the world lives and how the church lives. Think about the things we don't do. Think about the things we as Christians, we abstain from, the places we don't go, the things we don't do, the things we, we put aside, and the world welcomes them. The world runs to these things. The world outside of the church, I think would say the purpose of life is to get joy and to, and to make the most, just to you know, enjoy life. And we as Christians would say, there's actually a greater joy than this world. There's the joy of the kingdom of heaven. There's the joy in following Christ. Did we stop saying amen in here? Amen, right? Amen. 
We're a church that says amen, for goodness sakes, especially to that. Like we live differently than the world. And I know, I know, I'll say it again. We mess up, we stumble. I know this, I know, I know, I know. But we strive, don't we? To live differently than the world. I was, I was talking to a friend and trying to explain to him fasting not too long ago. And he was like, like going without food? And I was like, yeah, like, like Christians at, at certain times, uh, either they're going through something or praying through a situation, or many of you around the first of the year will pray through into the new year and take a time, a day, a week, a weekend and fast. Many of you will fast before a certain a Christmas or Easter. There's just things that we as Christians do. And I was trying to explain this to him and he was just like, what? Like you go without, aren't you hungry? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's kind of like the time you would take to prepare meals and to eat and the things we do around food. You take that time and you give it to the Lord and yeah, we, we hand it over because we say that there's a greater pleasure in praying and knowing the Lord and bringing our situations to him. He was like, wow, that's fascinating. And then I was telling him about just like schedules. Like a lot of Christians take, you know, uh, time every day and they devote it to the Lord. And he's like, yeah, that, that seems kind of cool. And then I told him, like, I get up early and I told him what time he, I, got, I get up in the morning usually. And he was like, oh my gosh, where do you do that early? It's like, well, I pray. And maybe you as, as in this church, we, we get up early and we pray. Maybe you don't get up and early and pray, but at some point, the church, like we strive for these moments of Bible time, of reading, of a prayer, of devotion to the Lord. It's a different life that we live than the world lives. It's a different pace. It's a different thing that we try to say no to the things of this world so that we could say yes to the greater pleasures of God and his kingdom and his dominion over this earth. There's a uh, riddle. Anybody like riddles? There's a riddle I want to put up on the board. It comes from, Paul never said this, but it's a riddle that kind of summarizes what Paul is saying here and in other places in the New Testament. It's, it's written, it's an inscription in a monastery uh, on this island. There's a monastery island uh, of, uh, on, in Greece. It's the island of uh, Mount Athos. If you go look it up, it's pretty cool. It's like this, if you're in Thessaloniki and I've been there, you could look out and see this big mountain. It's, it's we would, in, from Colorado, we call it a hill, but it's a mountain, Mount Athos. And on this island are all these different monasteries. And there's a Greek Orthodox monastery called St. Paul's Monastery. And there's this big Greek inscription uh, of summarizing what Paul taught. And this really summarizes it well. If you've been reading it, maybe you've been trying to understand what in the world it's saying. I'll read it a couple times. It took me like three readings to, to at least begin to understand what this is saying. But it says, if you die before you die, you won't die when you die. I see some people nodding their head. Other people are just looking at me like, well, say what? If you die before you die, then you won't die when you die. Let me try to explain. If you live your life in such a way that you're dying to yourself, your own selfish ways, if you're dying to the things of this world before you physically die, well, then when you physically die, Jesus promises us that if he's inside of us and it's Christ's life in us, then Jesus promises us that we will actually never die. We will have eternal life. And so if we die to the things of this world before we physically die, then when <clears throat> we physically die, we won't die because we will have eternal life. 
If you get it, nod your head. It's, it's a riddle. So some of you might need the rest of the barbecue and maybe this afternoon to continue thinking about it. And I get that. It's, it's one of these mysteries of the faith about dying to ourselves, dying to this world so that actually Christ will live in us and his spirit will be alive among us. So here we are, back to this passage. Let's kind of zoom out. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ was portrayed as crucified. And then he, say, he goes on to slam them some more. Are you so foolish? You're, you're living in vain, if it really was in vain. So again, I asked us, do you receive the spirit by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? It's this passage where it is a rebuke. But there's some of you in here that can take a rebuke and, and, and learn from it, grow from it. Maybe there's times in your life where someone has rebuked you, someone that actually loves you and trusts you and knows you, uh, rebukes you in such a way that it's actually for your good. Has that happened to anybody else? Okay, a couple, a couple hands, great. It's, it's a good thing that happens when someone that you love and trust does that. And Paul loves the Galatians. He's not, he doesn't hate them. He's trying to help them grow. And so he rebukes them. And what can we learn from this? It's a special thing when, when someone is gifted with like a holy kind of optimism. There's some blind optimism out there that people are just like, just happy no matter what. Like, you know, you're sick and then you have to go to the hospital and someone with like blind optimism could say like, well, at least you get out today. <laughs> Or someone tests for, for uh, hepatitis A and like blind optimism would say, hey, at least you got an A in something. <laughs> but there's a holy optimism that can look at a situation and see that God is in charge. I think of many of you, like I try to do this. I try to be wholly optimistic, but I feel like I'm an amateur compared to some of you in here. Like I think of the Shellhammers, they've been through things and they have this sovereignty of God in their bones, the Nolans, wherever they're at. The same thing, they, they, they're, they go through things and there's just like, oh, God is in charge. He's good. Yesterday, right here, uh, Tyler, if you didn't realize what he was talking about, he was talking about a funeral that, that we did right in here for a 21-year-old, the Martinez, uh, Beth Martinez's brother passed away. And Beth, she just had, if you know her, she has this optimism about her that's holy. She can see like, like what not to do, but this is what to do, to rejoice even when things are hard. So what I'm looking at, big picture now, is that this passage is a very hard passage. And Paul says what not to do. Don't trust in the flesh. Don't trust in the law. Don't trust in this silly stuff. But Paul does say what to do. And what to do is this. Point number three, we're wrapping up the sermon now, is to receive the spirit by believing. Let me read read uh, Galatians chapter three, verse one through five. And instead of focusing on like Paul calling out the Galatians, let us instead focus our attention on the word spirit. Because Paul is telling the Galatians, here's what you're supposed to do, which is to receive the spirit. And so as I'm reading through this, there's three times uh, the word spirit is mentioned. When I say the word spirit, say it out loud with me to, to emphasize here what Paul is doing. So he says this, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the did you receive the spirit? Listen to the question. By the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And of course, we receive the spirit when we believe. Verse three, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit. 
So you began, your faith was begun by the means of the Spirit. He asks this question, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? No, 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 that's not how it works. Verse four, have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, the same question, does God give you his spirit? Does he give you a spirit and does he work miracles among you? He's talking to a church. Did, did we get the spirit? Did God work miracles? God's worked miracles among us here at New Life Manitou. Has he given you the spirit? And Does he work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And I think that we all know the answer. By believing, that's, that's how we get the spirit. That's how miracles are done among us. So I see three things here about the spirit. We receive the spirit by believing. We begin our faith, we end our faith, and we work out our faith in the means of the Spirit. And finally, from verse five, God does give his Spirit, and he does work miracles among us by believing. Like when we believe what we heard about Jesus and the good news and the gospel and him inside of us, then that's when we receive the Spirit and miracles happen among us. So I have a question for you as we kind of close today. A question just between you and the Lord. I'm not gonna have you raise your hand, but I want every one of us, including myself, to ask this question about our lives. Is the Holy Spirit, do we have the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us? The New Testament talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you say, yeah, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. The New Testament talks about baptism in the Holy Spirit, like immersing ourselves in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, is he at work in your life? And if you you want the Holy Spirit, well, then do you need to try harder? You need to do this? You need to follow the Torah? Do you need to do this and that? No, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? We receive it by believing. And so I ask you this morning, this, this question, it's all part of the same thing. Do you believe in Jesus in such a way that you know that you know that you know that the Spirit is inside of you, they're filled with the Spirit, that you're baptized with the Spirit. For some of you, that might be a new phrase. You've maybe heard it before, but you know baptism is something we do with water, and we'll do baptism. We've done baptisms for five years now. We've been doing baptisms, and we'll do baptisms again in October. October 24th is a baptism Sunday, and if you're interested in baptism, if you have kids that are, that are getting older and, and, and their faith is like, yeah, clearly this faith is your own, then we would love to baptize with water uh, uh, this, the week coming up in October. And that's a symbol and it's a mystery and it's a holy sacrament of the Lord whereby which we look in the past and we say, yeah, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, the Son, he has redeemed me from my old way of life. And we go down into the water and our past is washed clean of sin. And there is another type of baptism. You know, when Jesus gets baptized, John talks about baptism. He says, I'm gonna baptize with water. My baptism is a baptism of repentance. But there is one who is coming. I'm not even worthy to touch his sandals. He's coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, this baptism, this filling of the Holy Spirit, that's for the future. That's for the looking forward. How we're empowered in our lives for ministry, to walk out our faith, how we're able to, to take the, the Lord that is inside of us and we're crucified with Christ so that it's us who's no longer living. It's Christ in us. What an image of the Holy Spirit at work. So would you, if you could bow your heads with me, 
We're gonna pray now. I'm gonna pray corporately for us to receive the Holy Spirit. And then Brett's gonna come forward and and we're gonna receive, once again, the gifts of the body and the blood of Jesus by communion. So with your heads bowed and the band, you can come up to to lead us in this last song. But we pray that the Holy Spirit would be here. Your spirit, Lord, would, would lift us up, would fill us. But we pray right now that our church would be a church known for being filled with the Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit, that we would be filled with gifts of the Holy Spirit, that that you, Lord, would, would fill us in ways and we would be known for gifts, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of visions and dreams, the gifts of, 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 of speaking or praying in unknown languages like it talks about in the New Testament, that we would be a church known for miracles among us, healing among us, words of revelation for the, for the community, words, words of revelation for each other. So Lord, we pray for these things. We receive them, Lord. We, we pray believing that it's you who does this work inside of us. We don't need to bring our works to you, Lord, we just need to bring our faith, our belief in you and you inside of us, like a grace bomb going off inside of us is is exploding into this world and your works, your faith in us going into all the world. So Lord, we pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.